We are starting a series on strengthening your heart. Strengthening your heart. So let's start right off with the Bible. How about that? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Sanctify. The God of peace wants to sanctify you entirely, wholly. Sanctify means to cleanse, to make you holy. He wants to make you holy. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants to do this work within you. But the thing of it is, is most people don't realize that they're a spirit. Most people don't realize what the scripture is saying. That you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live, you live in a body. The world recognizes the physical, and it recognizes the mental. And that's why it's so limited. That's why it's so limited to cure the issues of the human heart. It's because they don't realize that they're a third part. They're a spirit with a soul. And while the world only recognizes the body and the mind, that's not who God says you are. God says we were created like him. God is a triune being. And isn't it interesting? You're a triune being. You have a spirit, soul, and body. Hmm. Most people, including Christians, are not conscious of who they are. I can, I can guarantee you, you're more conscious on your mental and your physical than who you truly are in the spirit. Much less do they work on strengthening and maintaining a strong, a strong heart. A strong heart. So say this with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. You are a spirit. You are a spirit being that has a soul who lives in a body. The most important part of, of, of a being is the heart. Your heart is the most important part of you. And we're not talking about your blood pump. We're not talking about this gushy muscle inside you. It's squeezing blood through your veins. In Romans 10.10 it says, With the heart man believes unto salvation. He's not talking about your believing with an organ. He's, it's, you can't believe with your heart organ as much as you could believe with your kidney, right? He's talking about the inner man. He's talking about the heart, the center, the core of our being. He's talking about our inner man. The heart is what makes up the core of your personhood. The heart is the combination of a person's spirit and soul. It's the inner man. Right now, you are looking at me out those windows called your eyes. Your inner man is seeing and interpreting and listening. Just like your mind. Your, your soul is made up of your mind, will, emotions, right? Your desires is in your soul. And when you depart from your body, do you forget everything? No. Your brain 
is only the connector between the software and the, and the hardware. It's the hardware. Your brain's the hardware, right? So for in order for your body to be connected to your soul, it needs that interface of hardware. It's just like a computer almost. In you is the software that really is the true nature of you. A computer's only whatever its software is. You understand that? And that's how you are. Your spirit and your soul is you, the software. All this external things is the hardware. In Proverbs 4.20, it says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So he's talking about the words of God. He's talking about the words, and he's saying that it brings health, right, and strength. And it's supposed to penetrate where? Deep into our hearts. And then it goes on to tell us to guard your heart above all else. Above how much you guard your wife, how much you guard your money, how much you guard your house, how much you guard the TV remote. He says, above everything in your entire life, guard your heart. And most of us don't even realize that we need to guard our heart. The Amplified Version says, keep, your, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all that you guard, for out of it flows springs of life. The American Standard Version, it says, determines the course of your life. The God's Word translation says, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. So when you look at your life today, all it is is a sum total of your heart condition. It's your heart condition. Look at what Proverbs 18.14 says. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? The Amplified puts it this way. The strong spirit of a man sustains him, bodily, uh, sustains him in bodily pain or trouble, but a weak and broken spirit, who can raise up or bear so it's, it's saying that when you have a strong spirit and your heart is made up of what? Your spirit and your soul. And we have been given a strong spirit in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus, we have been made whole in him. In our spirit, we're just like Jesus. So we have a strong spirit. But if we're not appropriating, if we're not believing who we are in the spirit, and our soul has not been renewed to who we are in Christ Jesus, it makes us weak. It makes us weak. A strong heart will get you through physical attacks. 
A strong heart will get you through financial difficulties. A strong heart will get you through marital problems. A strong heart will get you through issues with your kids. A strong heart will get you through difficulties on the job. This is so vital to our experience called life. A strong heart will get you through anything. Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you tap in to who you are, when you start renewing your mind, when your heart is strong in the Lord, you have his ability. You have his wisdom. You have his compassion. You have his love. A strong heart will get you through things that men say is impossible. A strong heart will get you through things that people say is impossible. And if this is true, if the Bible's true, we should be interested in strengthening our heart and maintaining the condition of our heart daily. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, this is an interesting, interesting scripture. <clears throat> it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit. This is when he had the, the dream. And he says, I was grieved in, in, in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the vision of my head troubled me. It's interesting that you see everything there. You see the spirit. You see the, the body, and you see his mind. That word body there is nidne, N-I-D-N-E-H, and it means a sheath. You know what a sheath is? A holster? He says, my sheath, in the midst of my sheath I was troubled. The spirit that was in my sheath. In the meaning of this, figuratively, a body, the receptacle of the inner man. In James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. See, your body is just a sheath. It's a meat suit. It's a container. It's a cover. It's a glove. You can put a glove on, Right? O.J. couldn't, it didn't fit him. But you can put a glove on, and, it could, and now, you know, with plastics now, it can be tight-fitting. You can actually see the color of your hand underneath it. It could look identical to your hand, right? And it looks like it, when you put it on and you're using it, it looks like the glove came alive. But if you take the hand out of the glove, the glove just lays there and is dead, and that's what James is saying. He's saying, all your body is is just a glove. It's a sheath. And if you remove the spirit from a man or a woman, when you remove that, it's dead. Your inner man is what gives your physical body life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. 
Paul says, says that I would rather be absent from this body and be home, to be home with the Lord. See, just like, like a space suit, your body is an earth suit. And you, if you're in space and you see an astronaut in an astronaut suit, in a space suit, you don't look at that suit and say, look it, there's an astronaut. No, the astronaut is in the suit, right? The suit is not the astronaut. The astronaut's inside the suit. You are a spirit. Your body is not you. Your spirit within you is you, right? And just like you can't go into space without an astronaut suit, you can't live on the earth without an earth suit. So when you leave your body, you either go up, you go down. There is no hanging around. There's no, no talking to Uncle Charlie after he's passed away. But he knew things that only, only he could know. Yeah, they're called familiar spirits. They followed Uncle Charlie around. And they know things that you don't even know about Uncle Charlie. There is no in-between place. To be absent from the body is to be in the very presence of the Lord. In First Timothy... Chapter 4, verse 8, it says, For physical training is of some value, useful for a little, but godliness, spiritual training, is useful and value in everything. How many things? Everything. Every aspect of your life, spiritual training has great value. Everything, and in every way. For it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come. Spiritual straining, strengthening your heart, strengthening your inner man has promises for this life. So if you're going to let something slack, you should let physical training slack if you're not getting spiritual training. And I tell you, what will happen is if you get spiritual training, you'll find that you'll find out that physical training is important too. Because <laughs> wisdom comes along with that. Right? So the Bible says what God says is most important is spiritual training. Spiritual training and, and, and strengthening is much more important because it has value in everything and in every way it holds promises for the here and now and for the life which is to come. So do we believe that? Do, do we spiritually train ourselves? Do we eat daily? Most of us look like we're eating pretty good physically, like me. But are you eating? Are you exercising? Are you nourishing your inner man? Are you... Look strong on the outside, but on the inside, you're a weakling. Do you know that you can strengthen your heart? Just like exercise strengthens your 
physical heart, spiritual exercise strengthens your inner heart, your inner man. Your spirit is just like Jesus. It's strong. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. But if your soul is weak and you're not walking in the spirit, but you're walking in the flesh, it will cause your heart, your inner man to be weak. And it will affect every aspect of your life. Every aspect. In 3 John chapter 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. As your soul prospers in the things of God, it will affect your prosperity of life and it will affect the health of your body. Do you see that? So if you're not prospering in your soul, if you're not renewing your mind to the things of God in your soul, if you're not renewing your mind and strengthening your inner man, it's going to be hard for you to prosper in those other areas of life. We need to take care of our body, but we need to build our heart much more. If you're going to let one slide, it should be the strengthening of your body. Look at Paul's experience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Was Paul a strong man? Yes, he was, but he was a man. And he struggled just like all of us struggle. It says in Asia at this time, at this point in his life, he despaired. He was the point to saying, let's just die. It'd be better if we just died. Paul understood what it meant to be weak in spirit, weak in the heart, weak in the heart. He despaired of life. Did Paul experienced some weakness in his life? Yes, he was human. He was burdened beyond measure, it says, above strength so that he despaired. Despair is a sign of weakness. Think about this. Despair is a sign of weakness, a signal of spiritual weakness, that your heart is spiritual weak. So what is despair? Despair is hopelessness. It's unhappiness. That's interesting, isn't it? If you're unhappy, it's a sign that you have a weak weak heart. Your inner man is weak. Disheartment. Depression. Depression is a sign of a weak heart. Discouragement, misery, desperation. Have you ever felt desperation before? Distress, anguish, defeatism. What's defeatism? Nothing ever works for me. I might as well just give up. Why even try anymore? That's a sign of a weak heart. Wretchedness, pessimism. Someone that's always pessimistic about everything. 
It's a sign that your heart, your inner man is weak. What's the point of, what's the point? Why go on? It's useless. There's no hope. Do you have to be distressed? No, you don't have to be distressed. You can choose to have a strong heart. You can put your hope in the Lord. Let's look at the opposite of a weak and despairing heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, this is the Apostle Paul again, and he's saying, he says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is Paul awakening to who he is in God. Do you have to be distressed when you're in trouble? Do you have to despair when you don't have understanding? No. You don't have to be. And I, I think in Apostle Paul experienced things that most of us haven't experienced. Most of us would have gave up a long time ago, maybe at the first beating. You can have trouble coming from every side. It says from every side, every side, up, down, underneath, all around. He's had trouble, pressure coming in. And he chose not to be distressed. You can have a strong heart, full of hope, faith, and joy. Like Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, But none of these things move me. What's moving you today? What are the things in your life that are distressing you, that are moving you, that are getting you off the promises of God, that are getting, off, you're getting you off faith and hope and believing and trusting and being filled with joy? I refuse to be moved by them. They don't shake me. <laughs> they don't move my heart. How's your joy meter? How's your joy meter? The opposite of despair is joy. It's joy. The joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. Can you be joyful and be in despair at the same time? No. You cannot be joyful and in despair at the same time. If you have a strong heart, you're joyful. You're excited in the midst of turmoil and trouble. You have hope in the Lord your God. You're excited. Chad, you just, that sounds nuts. Well, I'm a fool for the Lord. Even when bad things happen, even when bad things happen, you can be joyful because you can say to yourself, I can't wait to see what God does with this. The greater one lives in me. I'm coming out of this. God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I could ask or hope for according to the power that lives within me. We need to have a strong heart. And if you don't have joy, if you're coming in with your head hanging down and you're talking about, oh, woe is me, the trouble I've seen. There's no hope. The doctor said this. The bank said this. My husband said this. My wife left yesterday. How's your joy meter? I, can't, I, can't, I, got, I feel like I really got to stay on this. If you're not joyful, you're weak. 
No matter what circumstances you are going through. Paul said, rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice. Replay your joy over and over and over again. Put it on the loop. You know, nowadays we got those videos that just loop. It's just a, someone falling down and they, then they get back up. Bang, 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 bang. We need to be replaying our joy just like that. If you don't have joy, you're not in faith. You're not trusting. You have a weak, weak, weak heart. Amen. Your joy meter is a good indication of the strength of your heart. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. The story of David becoming king was not like Saul's. Saul went from being just a normal guy, the best that Israel had at the time, but the people demanded a king, and he went from normal guy to king overnight. And most of us, that's what we want. We want to go from zero to 100 overnight. God, can't you just get it done like that? But look at the downfall of Saul. He started out good. He started out with humility. He, he, started out, um, he started out trusting in God, not thinking that he had ability, seeking God. But soon, because of, his, because of not preparing his heart, strengthening his heart along the way, he started giving in to what the people desired more than what God desired. And he started lifting himself and entering into pride. But that's not David's story. David's story wasn't from the pasture to the palace. I don't know if you know this or not, but it was 10 to 13 years. 10 to 13 years after Samuel anointed David, you know, the shepherd boy that, that his father forgot he was, even existed because Samuel come to anoint one of the children of Jesse to be king, and they all showed up. And he says, the Lord says, none of these are the one. You, you must have another son. Oh, yeah, there, there's the youngest, David. He's, he's out in the, in the pasture. Well, go get him. We will not sit down until he comes. And he's anointed. He's anointed. But it was 10 to 13 years before he actually became the king, the king of Israel. In those years, David endured more difficulty than many endure in a lifetime. It starts out good. It starts out in the, in the pasture with a unique inti intimacy with the Lord. Right? He spent time with the Lord. He understood from the from from dealing with God, that God really isn't interested in dwelling in temples. He's, he's interested in, in dwelling with men. That he doesn't really care about sacrifice. He, what he really cares about is a, is a broken heart that longs to do the will of God. David understood these things. And when he did this, when he spent time with the Lord, it gave him great courage and righteous indignation. There we go. For the enemies of God. That taunted 
Israel. Right there should tell you something. If you do not get angry at what the devil is doing in the world, what he's trying to do in your family, what he's trying to do in your body, if, you're, if there's not a righteous anger, Paul says, do not let your anger sleep. He says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That doesn't mean say I'm sorry before, before uh, you go to bed at night. It says, be angry and sin not. So there is a righteous anger against evil in the world. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. You don't let up on what the enemy is trying to do, what the enemy is trying to rob, he's trying to kill, he's trying to destroy. And this is what David did. It gave him great courage because he understood and he dwelt with God in the pastures all by himself. He killed the bear. He killed the lion. And it gave him great righteous indignation, anger towards anybody that would stand against God. Next, we see David arm, armless, armorless wins a great victory over Goliath and the Philistines. Things are looking good. You know, he's anointed. The, the, the prophet was right. I can see because he's brought to the king's home. He befriends the king's, the king's son. He marries the king's daughter. Oh, I'm going to be king. It's coming. Then the daughters of Israel start singing a song. It was the number one hit, top ten, on the top ten list. You know it. Oh, how Saul killed his hunt, uh, thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. And this called Saul, called, caused Saul to be jealous and to be angry. And he was already a demon-possessed man. Then King Saul starts chucking spears at David's head. I thought I was supposed to be king. David gets driven out of Jerusalem, chased by a demonized man for over a decade. For over a decade. He saves the village of uh, Kali from the Philistines. And the very ones he rescues gives his whereabouts to King Saul, who is still trying to kill him. So he saves these people from their enemies, and then they get ready to turn them over to King Saul. So he's rejected by his countrymen, and he flees to the wilderness, where this time he had some people that followed with him. And let's look at who this future king of Israel had following with him. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Ooh, sounds like the making of a king, doesn't it? So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So he ends up having 400 losers with him. That's who he had. The outcasts, who no one else wanted. Sounds like who Jesus has with him. And look what he's done. The rejects of society. And David led and trained these men for over 10 years, making them into the mighty men of David. 
See, a true leader, a true king can take the rejects of society and make them into who God created them to be. Of four of these men, I don't know if you know this or not, but four of these men were also giant killers. David was not the only one that killed a giant. Four other of his mighty men killed a giant. One of his mighty men killed a thousand men by himself. And he said when he, when he finished, he couldn't, they, couldn't pry, they had to pry the sword out of his hand. That's what, a, that's what a true king, that's what a true leader does. That's what Jesus does to us. David eventually moves his men to the land of the Philistines. Why? Because there's nowhere else for him to live. His countrymen, the king, everybody wants nothing to do with him. They're trying to kill him. So he moves in with the devil. He goes lives with the Philistines. And the Philistines give them the city of Ziklag. Ziklag. So he's living with the devil. From Ziklag, David led raids against the enemies of Israel. He was actually going out and raiding and conquering Israel's enemies, but he was convincing the Philistines that he was doing it for them. One day the Philistines wanted to fight against Israel, and many of them wanted David because he was such a warrior and his great military ability. He wanted them to go with him. But the Philistines distrusted David, fearing that he would turn on them in battle. So not only has the king um, forsaken him and wants to kill him, not only has his wife forsaken him, not only has his countrymen forsaken him, now the devil has even said, rejected him. The devil didn't even want David to come with him. You know you're having a bad day when the devil doesn't want you hanging out with him. <laughs> After this rejection, David and his men heads back home, and as they're walking home, they see smoke rising up from the city of Ziglag. And what they find, they find the city in ruins, their wives and children taken into slavery, and all their possessions gone. Sounds like a future king, huh? In 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, it says, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David and all the men that were with him weeped bitterly until they were lost strength and no ability to weep anymore. Verse 6, it says, Now David was greatly distressed. Not only is his wife gone and his children gone, but he's distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. David was rejected by the king. David was rejected by the countrymen. David was rejected by the Philistines. And now these men, these outcasts of society, these rejects that he made into a fearsome warriors that were prosperous, that he gave them a name to be proud of. 
the ones that he took from the, from the, from the pit to, to greatness. Now these men, too, wanted to forsake David and kill him. He has been rejected by everyone. So what did he do? What would you do? Would you be in despair? Would you lose your joy? Would you be a little depressed? Would you say, let's just give up. Get it over with me. Get it over with. Samuel was wrong. The prophecy was wrong. I'll never be king. Send me to my grave. What would you do? Most of us have given up under a lot less of great circumstances that David had. David, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, part B, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And this wasn't something that he had to do and spend hours doing it. They were getting ready to kill him. He turned to God. And he thought about the promises. He thought about who God was to him. He he thought about the lion. He thought about the bear. He thought about Goliath. He thought about the great mercies of God and the abilities of God. And he strengthened himself in a moment. And he said to the men, we have wives and kids to go get. We have wives and kids to go get. David chose to strengthen himself in the Lord, went and got all their, wi- their wives, their children, along with all their possessions, and the very next thing that happens, do you know what the very next thing that happens in David's life is? When it seems like that's the end. He, could, he had a choice to make. I can give up. I can stop trusting the Lord. I can be distressed. I can give up all hope. Or I can strengthen myself in the Lord. Go get our ch- wives and children back and trust in God. When all, hopeless, when all hope is gone, you ha- can choose to be hopeless or have hope in God. And David chose to have hope in God. And the very next thing that happens in David's life is someone comes and tells him, the Philistines have ki- killed Saul, and you now are king of Israel. What would happen if David didn't strengthen himself in the Lord? The promise would have never been fulfilled. There are promises that God has in your life. There are there are futures, future and dreams and, and, and plans that God has for your life. There are people out there that God has plans and dreams and, and, and miracles and, and works and wonderful inventions and wonderful things to do for humanity. But things got a little tough and they chose to be in despair rather than hope in their God. They chose to 
the path of weakness of the flesh rather than strengthening themselves in their heart. Can you see the importance of knowing how to strengthen your heart? Can you see how important this is? Well, I hope you do, (laughs) because that's exactly what we're going to be studying in the coming weeks. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.